0: Steven Sashin got into sprinting at age 45 after a 30-year break, and for about two years, he was getting injured constantly. A friend suggested he try running barefoot as a cure for his injuries. Although this sounds crazy, it actually helped Stephen, and he proceeded to run barefoot from that point on. Now, Stephen knew that running barefoot was not going to be a solution for everyone, so he, along with his wife, Lena Phoenix founded Zero Shoes. They're a minimalist design shoe company that helps people who have all kinds of foot ailments run comfortably, efficiently, and effectively. In fact, you don't have to have a foot deformity in order to enjoy their shoes, and there is no business deformity with Zero Shoes. They're one of the most successful shoe brands today. Join me for this episode of the Inside BS Show as Steven Sashin and I take you inside the founding of a shoe company for people who love to run barefoot. I'm Dave Lorenzo, your host, and today we have a fantastic guest for you, We have something really special that's going to not only educate but entertain you. And I think you are going to get huge value out of just being a fly on the wall and listening to the great conversation we're gonna have. But in the true tradition of do this, sell more, we're going to give you something you can use immediately to make more money and get home on time for dinner every night, including tonight. I want you to meet Steven Sassion, and Steve is a serial entrepreneur who's never had a job, and that's a good thing. <laughs> a professional stand-up comic, an award-winning screenwriter and a competitive sprinter. He's actually one of the fastest men over 55 in the country. He and his wife, Lena Phoenix, co-founded the footwear company Zero Shoes, and they're creating a movement movement which has helped hundreds of thousands of people live life feet first with happy, healthy, strong feet in addictively comfortable footwear. Steven and Lena also appeared on Shark Tank and I really encourage you to go to their website and watch the episode of Shark Tank because it was, a, it was an episode in how short-sighted investors can be. We'll talk with, we'll talk with Steven a little bit about that but they appeared on Shark Tank, they turned down a $400,000 offer from Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, and I, I think that's a perfect place to start. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank Tell you. Tell us a little bit about the Shark Tank experience, because everybody I know watches Shark Tank, and everybody I know wants to know what it's like to be on that show.
1: Totally surreal. It, is, um, it really is freaky, because when you walk out onto the tank, uh, or yeah, into the tank, if you will, you s- you're seeing these people that you've been watching on TV for months or years. I mean, we watched every episode of Shark Tank. We watched episodes of Dragon's Den from Canada, Dragon's Den from the UK. We didn't watch Dragon's Den from Japan. That would have been a little difficult for us. But you have this uh, false sense of familiarity when you see these people. And so we w- and, and also, you're, you're kind of unnaturally far away from them. So you're standing like 15, 20 feet away. It feels really weird as you're staring at these people in real life, that you've been watching on your tiny little screen, so it's like I, I look and I go, "Hey, there's Cuban, and there's Damon, and there's Kevin, and there's Robert, and there—oh, there's Barbara. She um she had a whole <laughs> lot of crazy ass makeup on. It was really somewhat shocking to be to be honest. Um, but and I say that only because she said she hated me from the moment I walked out on the stage. So I feel no compulsion to hide the fact that when well, I saw- in, in yeah.
0: her in her defense, you looked like her first husband, or you reminded her of her
1: first well, you know, husband. or something. Yeah, that's what she said. Now the glib <laughs> the glib response that I could have have made would be I mean the guy who gave you the money that you used to start the business that you sold right. for million? Right. I'm cool with that but the biggest thing that you very quickly realize is that you don't want to be glib because the worst thing that would happen is that you say something that you think is funny and the way they edit it is just you know you say it and then they cut to the sharks just like with crickets chirping so uh so there was that surreal thing and and also when you watch the show it looks like a conversation. When you're on the show, it is the farthest thing from a conversation. They're rarely paying attention to you. They're certainly not giving you their rapt attention all at once. They're making notes. They're arguing with each other. They're trying to one-up each other. One of those sharks will ask you five questions, and when you're on number three, another one will ask you 10 questions, and if you switch to the second shark, the first one gets mad, and if you don't switch, the second one gets mad, and it's it's just really a free-for-all. The one thing that works to your advantage, I guess, is that you can't see the cameras. They're all hiding. So you don't have that feeling of being on television. You just have this feeling of being in, a, in the weirdest conversation you've ever been in. And for everyone that I know, whether they made a deal or not, when they walk off the set, their overarching you know, number one response is, what the hell just happened? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. really, it's, it's literally inconceivable. I mean, for us, we, we had forgotten that Kevin even had made us an offer. At one point, Robert says, you know, there's an offer on the table. And Lane and I looked at each other and went, what? Oh, oh, that thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, We had completely forgotten.
0: Did you, is there any coaching beforehand? Obviously, you must have gone through like a local pitch in order to get on the show. But did anybody coach you or tell you what to do?
1: No, the way it worked for us, um, when we heard the casting was open, and that's the only time they actually – take uh, uh, information about being on the show. And that usually starts in March or April. Uh, I sent an email and then sent a video about a week later. I don't think they even got the video or or the person who saw the video didn't see it or care about it, Uh, but they responded to the email and interviewed us over the phone. And then at the end of the phone interview, this is on a Thursday. They said that was great. We'd love to get a video of you guys—just a five-minute video that answers these four hundred questions—and mm. we need it by Monday. And I said, not a problem. We'll shoot it over the weekend, get it to you on Monday. Meanwhile, my wife is losing her mind because she was planning a surprise 50th birthday party for me that weekend. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so, um, so we did get it done. We sent them the video. There's a long application that you have to hand write. So we had to hire people from Craigslist to handwrite our application because you can't read either of our handwriting. And then after that process, there's a big contract that you have to sign. Everybody thinks they can renegotiate the contract. You can't. And it's very onerous and very one-sided. But if you want to be on the show, that's what you sign. We sent that in. Then uh, they told us they wanted us on the show. And from that point, you work with your producers. It's usually a pair to just work on the pitch that first 60 to 90 seconds where you explain who you are and what you do. And that's it. After that, it's totally free form. And we we really rehearsed that pitch a lot and we are really looking forward to getting it from start to finish. And we made like, I think maybe got one sentence into it before Robert interrupts with a question. So it is yeah. again, the whole thing is it is so not what you possibly imagine that you've got to be able to just think on your feet uh, don't get overly familiar don't pretend you know these people because then you'll probably say something that you wouldn't want to say to an investor that you right. would say to a friend and don't um and don't argue don't get defensive there's nothing that they will say there's no criticism criticism that they will level on you that isn't either true or metaphorically true or possibly true and so there's no reason to argue when at one point kevin said to me yeah you're crazy and i went maybe
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, but all well, uh,
0: So the you know, I I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on this, but what was the benefit to your business as a whole from that publicity? Because that your package was the last package in that yeah. show, yeah. so that you got the exit interview at the end, which which really gave you a chance to kind of it put a it put a human face on the you know the process. And, yeah. You know, after looking at your business, it's, it's now, that was, what, what year was that?
1: Uh, it aired in uh, January, originally in January, 2013. We taped in July of 2012.
0: So, so it's, you know, it's at the time we're recording, this is like seven years later. Years, yeah. And, yeah. And you're, and you're extremely successful at the end of that. What was the, what was the outcome? How did that help your business?
1: We did about three months worth of sales in the week following the show. Wow. Oh, and how and and had we been prepared now and that was selling a $20 do it yourself sandal making kit right could not be right. more funky and finicky um right. ha- if we could do the show today it would probably be worth anywhere between 3 and 5 million dollars to us immediately wow and one of the things that we weren't ready for then was the traffic we had so we started airing it like 52 minutes after the hour or 51 minutes after the hour by 53 minutes after the hour, we had 200, over 250,000 concurrent visitors on our website.
0: Wow. Crashed
1: it like that. And, the traffic stayed pretty consistent until about four minutes after the show ended. Uh, and I, I know many, many, many people who whose websites crashed as a result of being in the show. And even when it reaired six months later, it crashed again. And when it reared on CNBC a year later, it crashed again. I mean, it took us, it literally took us a year and a half to figure out what we needed to do to handle the traffic. Uh, and we ended up debugging a whole bunch of code and just a bunch of crazy things. So, uh,
0: Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, so that's pretty the, wild. So the power,
0: has that has that helped you with attracting designers and?
1: It's helped us with everything. Yeah, um, the yeah. biggest thing that it's helped us with, frankly, is that as the business has continued to grow and we end up meeting possible investors or strategic partners, uh, they all watch the show and they all uniformly think we did well on the show, even though they edited out all of our best answers. So when, if you watch it, when you see Damon saying, well, it's just rubber and string, my response was, Damon, you who invented FUBU, a clothing company, you of all people know that a brand is more than the components of a product, And he just kind of slumps in his chair as Cuban goes, perfect. Uh, (laughs) And uh, at one point, Robert says, "Um, well, what do you think about all the competition? And I said, they're just creating a wave of awareness that we're surfing on. And he literally jumps out of his chair. He yells, you have a perfect answer to every question. And Lena and I just look back at him incredulously. It was like yeah, this is our business.
0: Right. This is what, and it's, you know, it's not just your business, but you, you know, you live the product. So tell people the story of the product in case they haven't gone to the website. Tell, tell people how you came up with this. Uh,
1: Well, I didn't. It's a 10,000 year old idea that we just brought back into the real world. So what we make is, uh, well, I'll say it this way. At the end of the day, do your feet feel better than they did at the beginning of the day? The answer is usually no. No, and that's, absolutely and that's, I, you know, no. I
0: do I do four hours on my feet at a at a seminar or something, and it takes me it takes me like two days to recover. I'm fifty, yeah. it takes me two that's days
1: to not- recover. That's not normal. That no. happens because of the shoes that you're wearing. Your feet are designed to bend and move and flex and feel, and if you let them do their job, they can support you all day, every day, on concrete, on, on any surface you can think of, without a problem. You can feel just as good at the end of the day as you do at the beginning. And But modern footwear doesn't let you do that. Modern footwear squeezes your toes together, typically elevates your heel, it's too stiff to let your feet move naturally, too much padding so you can't really feel the ground and respond accordingly. And if your feet can't do their job, The function of balance and agility and support moves tries to move to your ankle, your knee, your hip, and your back, which are not designed for that. Uh, If you let your feet do their job, then you can support yourself quite happily for the rest of your life. So what we make is casual and performance shoes and sandals that let your feet move naturally, that let you live life feet first. Now, at the time, all we had was, again, a do-it-yourself sandal kit, which was basically just... Uh, some rubber in the shape of a your foot essentially, and some cord that you would use to lace it to your foot in hundreds of different styles the way that people have d- have been doing for thousands of years since they first invented footwear um, we 've evolved significantly since then and become a full on active lifestyle brand, but at that time that 's all we had was that simple little barefoot running walking hiking sandal what do you What do you run in now? uh depends on where i'm going so we have a running shoe that we call the prio that i use i'm a sprinter so i'm on the track mostly so right. for so anything you, so up back like,
0: is it like your version of flats i mean is that yeah
1: it's basically it's sort of like a racing flat but not quite as not quite as lightweight as a racing flat not quite as, not quite as minimal as a racing flat because it's okay. designed to handle fitness and crossfit I, I spoke to someone earlier he was a powerlifter he said it's the best shoe he's ever worn for powerlifting wow. so um it's really an all-around shoe we've and also got a trail run. I'm
0: looking. I have your website up on the other screen I'm looking at it right now it's a good looking shoe
1: thank yeah. you it's got a bunch of little design features that we own patents on and that have never been done before mostly because I knew nothing about footwear and said well here's how feet work why don't we make something around feet and people would say well no one's ever done that before as well that seems stupid so
0: what do you what do you recommend for people who run who run distances I have a I have a 10 year old who's a mixed martial artist and he runs three miles a day and we can not can't find shoes that he finds comfortable. So, so what do you recommend for people who run distances?
1: Well, here's the joke. People run distance in everything we make including our casual shoes that are not made for running. Really? Yeah, well, in part because our souls are the same. We have a soul that gives you the right combination of ground feel so your feet can actually do their job of feeling things. You have more nerve endings in your soul than anywhere but your fingertips and your lips. You're supposed to use those things to tell your brain what's going on with your whole body. So people run in our sandals, they run in our casual shoes, they run in our performance shoes. Uh, The most popular running products uh, for shoes the prio for kind of all around and then our TerraFlex is just an amazing trail running shoe gives a little extra cushion uh barely any but it, you if you look at the construction but you really feel it and it's got a grippier tread it's the best reviewed product we've ever had and it's just super super comfy but again we have people who run in that that super minimalist sandal we have people who run in our trail sandals we've had people run in our hiking boots we've had people which is really just the high top version of the prio so it right right um, we, what, it's become a joke in the office where we'll make a product for some specific use like casual wear and then we just wait to hear someone say something like hey I just climbed Kilimanjaro on these <laughs> so if you want to take a look at these if you're
0: listening and you want to take a look at these go to zeroshoes.com. x-e-r-o-s-h-o-e-s dot com look at the Prio I'm looking at the Prio right now it's got almost 1500 reviews and they're, and they're all 5 stars it's really hard to yeah, find a to better- 4.8 yeah, and the uh, and the Terraflex is on there right now. That that has six hundred and twenty three reviews, and that's got that. Th- th- it looks like that's got almost all five stars. Yeah, that one's
1: even better. Actually. And
0: they're they're <laughs> unbelievably affordable. They're they're not yeah. expensive at all. It's great.
1: Yeah, and the soles have a five thousand mile sole warranty, so the net cost is even less.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. I wanna to talk to you specifically about the community you've built. It, you know, so one of the things we talk to our clients about all day long, whether they're in professional services or they're uh, salespeople selling pharmaceutical products or they sell private jets or they're looking to do business with the affluent. One of the things we, we talk to our clients about all day long is number one, establishing some level of expertise and number two, creating a community where the folks who are your clients can support one another and can learn from one another. You own and run a shoe company and <laughs> you've got one of the best email systems that educates people and establishes your expertise I've seen and also on your, on your site, you have, you've created a community of people that are talking about everything from um, how to use your products effectively to where to, you know, where to go and run and hike Talk yeah. to me about creating a community and how you leverage the email communication to develop an affinity for your for your brand and for your products.
1: Well, luckily for me, you just explained how to do it. So I will highlight what you just said. <laughs> and the gist is that to the extent to which you can provide value, and value comes in a number of forms. It can come in information and education. It can come in entertainment. It can also just come in giving people the opportunity to share with other people or to become visible or to get some sort of uh, attention or, or validation or just an opportunity to, uh, to have a voice. So those are some of the different ways that people can participate or that you can, mm, the, the kind of value you can provide. And then it's just a question of where you do that. So we, I used to, when I started the, the site, actually I had a forum and that was a a really nice thing to have for a while, but the software was a little too insecure and it was just getting hard to manage. And that's when Facebook started to take off. So we've, we've kind of let Facebook do that job. Uh, we, the way we, the way we engage with our people is, uh, by a email and inviting them to participate. And, uh, The way we build out that campaign is based on the customer life cycle. So what that means is there are different stages that people will go through from just being prospects where they don't know anything about what we do or who we are to buying a product, to buying multiple products, to not necessarily buying something for some period of time, to being some of our best customers. They're all different Uh, categories that people can, can possibly go through as they go from not knowing who you are to knowing who you are to engaging with you and buying from you, et cetera, et cetera. And we track where those people are by their activity and we build out email campaigns based on that. And we try to, the biggest thing we try to encourage is for them to participate. We don't sell super hard. Uh, I know that I could sell harder, but I don't want to. I, I've made what arguably is a bad business decision, and that is Lena and I run this business the way we would want it to be run if we were customers. And I say that's potentially a bad business decision because our prices are lower than they could be. We don't sell as hard as we could. We There's a number of things that we don't do that would probably make us more money, and we don't care. So that's actually another thing that we do that helps with the community, is we're very present and visible through everything we do. It's all branded and uh, linked to us personally. And we tell a lot of personal stories, not overly personal, I'm not you know, talking about our sex life, but we, we share about just who we are and what we're doing, because people like relating to people, not to things, not to amorphous whatever. For, for someone to relate to a brand, that brand has to be so well established that it doesn't require humans involved. Basically, the, the, the giant customer base becomes what you're getting into. But until you've gotten that level of penetration, which very few companies ever get to, you, it's just easier to relate to humans than it is to relate to some you know, amorphous corporate blob.
0: It's interesting, you know, I, I had never talked to you until about 20 minutes ago, 15, 20 minutes ago, but the email voice is very much like your voice. And I, oh, yeah. I recognized it as soon as I saw the video on your website, I thought to myself, these are these are folks who really get it. The The connection made through the email is like making a connection with you do you, I don't, yeah, I mean, uh, this is, this is, this may be revealing something you don't want to reveal, but are you writing those emails or is it, are you connecting with somebody who has your voice down really, really
1: well? Uh, I've either written or edited every email. I've typically written most of them. If not, uh, I've written probably 90% of them and the people that I work with to handle the logistics of our email and split test and various ways of optimizing our email. Whenever they write something, I, uh, I, I almost always have to reply saying, here's the way I would do it because this is the way I sound, or this is the way human beings talk. Um, right. Our newsletter, we have, I have some people that we've, that we've brought on board who craft that every, well, basically three times a month, sometimes four times a month. And pretty much every time, I'm still to this day uh, editing that to make it more like the way we talk and less like the way they talk.
0: Talk to me about the, you know, the entrepreneur in me is really curious about the guarantee so um, mm. tell me tell me about the guarantee the pushback that I always get from our clients with the guarantees oh everybody 's going to send them back they 're going to wear them for six months and send them back. Tell me about the guarantee. Tell me how that strengthens your brand and tell me, tell me about reality. How does that really work
1: uh, i 'm going to start by saying it 's a work in progress because' okay. there 's there's a lot of normative pressure placed on brands and new emerging brands to do what Amazon does or to do what people think Amazon does or to do what people think Zappos or Nordstrom or fill in the blank does. And I, and I emphasize think because they're often mistaken. So they think that Amazon and Zappos and Nordstrom will take any product back at any time in any condition. It's actually not true. And so, but that's their expectation. And so uh, we're constantly fighting that and we're fighting the brands that are willing to do what they think those companies are doing to try to make sales, even though they're often losing money by doing so. So we're running the balancing act of finding the right way to reverse the risk or make people feel comfortable buying something online. That's actually the one product that people feel the least comfortable buying online shoes, right? Cause they're worried about fit and they're worried about look and they're worried about comfort and all those things. So our guarantee we have a 5,000 mile sole warranty and where that came from was early on when we had our do it yourself kit, people would email us all the time and say, well, how long are these things going to last? And we would say, <laughs> I don't know, it's been two years and we have, no one's ever worn out a pair. So Uh, because we were inspired by the tire sandals worn by the Tarumara in Mexico and other cultures and in other places, other indigenous cultures, I just thought about that. And I liked the idea of having a tire-like warranty. So that's where I came up with the 5,000 mile idea. In fact, I thought of 10,000, but I knew people would think that was absurd and wouldn't believe it. So if I went too far, it would seem crazy. We're we're right at the point where it's outrageous enough that people are like, what? But not so outrageous that they don't believe it. But to that point, We're not offering a unconditional money-back six-month guarantee, Uh, although if we did, it probably wouldn't make a difference, or it probably wouldn't make much of a difference. And that's something that we're going to be experimenting with. Everything that we do from this point forward, where if it comes to guarantees or shipping costs or anything like that, we're split testing to see what the effect really is. Because the last thing we want to do is make a decision that's hard to pull back from that ends up being a bad business decision. And luckily we have enough traffic and enough sales that we can do some testing and see, you know, test the waters before we, we dive all the way in.
0: Sure, sure. What's the, so that, so. Oh, wait,
1: wait, sorry, I want to back up. But to answer your question um, in a slightly different way, many people are afraid of offering a big guarantee and the, the results almost uniformly when people have tested these things is the more you can offer the better. And it's not going to turn into some. If it turns into some giant influx of returns and complaints and whatnot, that just means you have a crap product, um, not a crap. Gra- I mean, if you have a good product, you could practically offer almost anything within reason. We're never going to offer a, you know, a a fully money back for the life of your product guarantee because it's footwear. These right. things wear out. There's no way, no way to to ignore the realities of physics and friction. But we can offer the kind of guarantee and warranty that uh, uh, is better than most products because we're making products that are better than most products.
0: You know, I, one of the things I tell clients all the time, uh, particularly entrepreneurs, is the bottom line is if somebody came to you and they said, "Listen, I this this product is not, it's not working, it's not fitting my needs and they and they wanted to bring it back to you." Let them. And legitimately, it was 24 hours after they had received it, you would probably do something to accommodate them. Yeah. So, if you're not going to, you know, you don't want to advertise it because you're afraid everybody's going to going to bring it back in your case, 5,000 mile uh, guarantee, people, uh, people would be crazy not to think that you're going to, I mean, you're going to stand behind your product regardless. So yeah. if, yeah. if your product is a good product, of course you're going to stand behind it.
1: Well, and I'll, I'll tell you, there's, there's two other bits of the balancing act for, for this. One is as the company has grown and we now have eight full-time customer happiness team members, we need to be able to educate them so they know how to respond to the myriad situations where someone's going to call needing some help or needing some sort of warranty issue or whatever it is. And so on the one hand, you need to set up a policy where people can just stick to the policy so they don't have to try and reinvent the wheel every time. Right, right. On the other hand, there's a little reinventing the wheel every time. And I'm saying this uh, hopefully as a public service announcement. If you call a company like ours, for example, and you have a problem and you want it solved and you are an asshole, (laughs) the odds of us giving you what you want are way less than if you're right. a nice human being who assumes that we're actually willing to help you. If you call and start ranting and raving about how we're trying to rip you off because the U.S. Postal Service delayed your package, which we have nothing to do with, right. there's less that we're, there's. We, I mean, it's just human nature. We're less likely to bend the rules or bend the policy um, than we are if you call and go, is there anything you can do to help us out? And, and I am amazed. I've been selling things online since 1992 I'm amazed at the proportion of assholes that there are right now. It has gone exponentially through the roof compared to when I started and i'm myst- I'm not actually mystified by it I'm depressed because I think the reason that it happened is twofold: one: there are so many companies that do treat you badly that everyone now assumes that everyone's going to treat you badly, and the other is just the anonymity of the internet and Uh, and that's
0: it right there the fact that you can be faceless and you know and you don't have to you don't have accountability for your behavior so people think that's i think a great
1: and and i think that's extending past the internet into just the way we relate to people i mean if we have a customer who's um who we're trying to help and they're they're just really upset for whatever reason um, and the customer service team is unable to make a dent in that, they'll sometimes call, come to me and say, what do I do? And I go, call them, pick up the phone. Because they're not going to be like that when you talk to them in real life. They're being like that because they're hiding behind their email. And yep, if they exactly are like that right. with
0: you, exactly yeah. right.
1: and if they're like that with you, put them through to me because they won't do it to me. And that happens maybe once every two or three months. But um, but it, it, it's, it really is just sort of, it's really sad for me just to see the erosion of civil behavior that's really happened in the last I think like five or six years significantly, it's been going on for a while, but the last five or six years has really accelerated in a way that's- well
0: and it's it's particularly bad on social media oh, it, yeah. there's it, there's uh, and one of the things that we that we talk about constantly with our clients is that. You can, there's no, nobody's gonna win an argument on social media and then yeah. you're not gonna sell anything to anyone ever who's friends with you on social media if you're getting into fights with people. That's the exact opposite yeah. of what sales is all about. Sales is about developing relationships and delivering value. If you're arguing with someone, you're not gonna argue them into doing business with you.
1: No, there, and but there is a fine line where you can respond and still hold your ground in a way that someone will come back and go, you know, my apologies. And, um, and it's, it, it is undeniably challenging. And I will, I will say that I am two things. I'm the master of doing that. And it's not like I do it right on the first try. In other words, someone will respond and I will come back with my response that I erase 10 times before I come back with the one where I feel confident that I have Not only responded to them, but I've responded to anyone who's reading the thread in such a way that they see that I'm the one who's reasonable in the conversation. Yeah. You know, that's the best you can do.
0: So folks, I want you to go to Zero Shoes, X-E-R-O Shoes, all together, dot com. I'm going to buy a, a pair of Prios for myself, and I'm going to buy a pair of Prios for Nick. I said, you know, Nick is 10. He runs every day. We're going to unbox them. I'll put the unboxing video on YouTube, and Nick and I will both do a review of them. We will put it with the video from this podcast. So if you're listening to this online right now, go to the website, look for the video so that you can see us and our our Zero Shoes Prios. Look for the the interview with Stephen on YouTube and join us right back here again next time for the Do This, Sell More show. Stephen Sashin, I thank you so much for joining me today. This is an unbelievably valuable conversation for all of our listeners. What's the one thing you want to leave our listeners with in terms of the best advice you can give them from a perspective of relationship development or delivering value?
1: Find where people are already having the conversation that you want to be part of and join it, and join it just for the sake of being part of the conversation and offering value to it, not trying to get something from it.
0: Very good. Great advice. Thank you, Stephen Sashin. Until next time, I'm Dave Lorenzo and I hope you do this and sell more. That'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. Join us right back here tomorrow for another show where we take inside business strategy, share all the insider business secrets and cut through all the inside BS. We'll see you on the inside.